The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station, JVC Broadcasting Management, or its sponsors. Welcome to Crime and Justice Radio, where we talk all things crime, justice, mayhem, and the courts with expert insiders and legal outcasts. My name is Aida Leisenring. I am here with Bruce Barquette, and we have a pretty cool guest on who's going to come up uh, in the first hour. Look, we've talked about uh, everything from, and we will talk about again, conditions of incarceration, the death penalty, uh, innocent people being convicted. Um, this is the most important topic we've ever discussed. It's the most important topic that anyone can discuss. And it, it, I am thrilled that we're going to have the, the, this individual on. It's one of the lawyers that's brought a lawsuit against the President of the United States and numerous members of his administration for uh, censoring free speech uh, over the last several years. Over and, Twitter, Facebook. Correct. Intimidating know. social media companies, threatening them, bullying them, conjoling them into censoring information or opinions that the government has viewed as uh, quote-unquote misinformation. And it's not just like lunatic, you know, uh, random bots on Twitter that are spewing this information. They were able to censor the American Heart Association. Remember when they put out an advisory against the vaccines and that quickly got taken down? Well, doctors, journalists, respected uh, epi. Uh, epidemiologist epidemiologist thank you <laughs> it's welcome. amazing that i have a job on the radio because i yeah. have s- trouble pronouncing so many different words uh it really it really was troubling and you and i have spoken about this uh privately and as have all my friends have heard my my uh tirade about this that it was troubling to see it happen in real time even president trump's um um removal from twitter which i was secretly very, kind of openly you're psyched happy about it because i was <laughs> sick of his his nonsense and i was happy to have you know quiet for a period of time but that was obviously wrong as well and, and and i said so at the time you can't do this and the excuse that was given to me mostly from my friends on the left who said they're private companies they're not subject to the first amendment you can say whatever you want but you don't have a right to say it on twitter what we're learning through this lawsuit, and it's a detailed lawsuit, we'll learn more in a few minutes, is that the censoring took place um, by the government, forcing the social media companies into de- deleting, um, deplatforming, anything canceling. having to do with uh, information Individual, on masks. individuals on a whole range of topics uh, related in vaccine par- studies uh, yeah, and I don't care about, doctors I don't I don't want to get lost into the topic because it doesn't matter to me what they were censoring what matters is they censored something now and if they can do that now they can censor other things in the future it starts with public health and it'll it'll, it'll devolve into uh, military well, policy to policing and to everything let's, else. Let's get to her. I, I want to introduce Janine Eunice, who is the litigation counsel for New, New Civil Liberties Alliance based in D.C. And I want to first highlight she's she's famous on Twitter and she's been a very, very strong advocate for doctors that have differing and I'll argue in some cases accurate and correct opinions about how the pandemic should be handled about medications, about vaccines, about the efficacy of masks and so forth. 
But she she's accused of being this, in, in some circles, of, of being this right-winged individual. And I want to point out for the record that she was an appellate public defender in New York City, couldn't be more liberal. She was providing representation to indigent clients convicted of criminal offenses in New York. And she was arguing countless appeals in the New York Appellate Division, the Second Department, and so forth. And after witnessing governments throughout the nation violate human rights and civil liberties, uh, in an effort to mitigate the spread of COVID-19, Janine said, I don't like the way things are going. And she signed up for a new battle and she has been incredibly successful. She's been published in the wall street journal. I could go on, but we don't have you for very long. Uh, welcome Janine. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me back. And, and I just want to point out you're suing Biden, Vivek Murthy, the surgeon general, um, the Department of Health and Human Services, and Anthony Fauci on behalf of many doctors and the Attorney General in the state of Missouri. So tell us about that lawsuit. Yeah, so that lawsuit, uh, NCLA joined on behalf of Jay Bhattacharya, Mark Kuldorf, uh, who wrote the Great Barrington Declaration, and um, Aaron Cariotti and Jill Hines. Uh, we joined the Attorneys General of Missouri and Louisiana, and the arg are, we're arguing that the federal government has be been behind social media censorship. So they've been threatening tech companies and, uh, you know, with adverse legal consequences if they don't censor uh, based on viewpoint about COVID-19. And when uh, you First say, Amendment, sorry, when you say it. adverse legal consequences, can you give us an example? They've been, uh, I would say they've been relatively vague. They've referred to Section 230, which has allowed tech companies to kind of um, do what they want without consequences for what users post on their platforms. They've, they've sort of threatened to repeal it. They've said things like could be held accountable for COVID deaths. So that even, you know, implies some sort of criminal uh, responsibility, things that clearly, uh, you know, would make companies nervous. <laughs> and, uh, you know, to the extent it might not be clear exactly what they could and couldn't do. I'd point out that, you know, the Biden administration and other administrations, of course, have not always followed the law when it comes to their executive authority. So, uh, you know, just because maybe a court might not uh, in the end uphold whatever legal consequences they try to inflict doesn't give the plaintiffs assurance that, uh, sorry, the tech companies assurance that they won't suffer, at least in the short term. Well, you, so yeah, and they don't want to deal with the, the possibility of, when you say Section 230, you're referring to a law that allows the social media companies, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I might be, but allows social media companies to host a platform and they can't be uh, sued uh, for defamation because of the content. That's right, yeah. I, and I think so uh, there's there's some language in there that, uh, you know, I think harassment and stuff like that is um, exempt, but sort of the content. So people expressing viewpoints they can't be held accountable so, for. So that's the core of social media. If you were, if, if I was, if somebody said something bad about me and put it on Twitter or Instagram or whatever, and I could then sue the individual for the defamation, uh, that's fine. But the individual doesn't have any money, so most people aren't going to aren't going to do that um, because it's just not worth it financially to them. But if I could sue Twitter and the individual and collect money for Twitter for allowing this false information to be placed, then Twitter ends up having to police a whole range of uh, content and that they just can't do. It would literally put them out of business. Right. How, did the right. Right. how did the government define what was disinformation? 
I want to say who cares, but sorry. Go ahead and answer the question. Yeah, no, and I'm definitely on board with that. But I think, you know, I think it sort of (laughs) exemplifies why we have a First Amendment, because these were people saying things like, you know, maybe lockdowns do more harm than good. Maybe um, masks don't work that well. Those were cited as disinformation by Vivek Murthy, things that the companies should be censoring. And, I, you know, you have top epidemiologists from Harvard and Stanford saying, in, my, in our experience, in our um, research, we, d- we think that this is not the approach to take. And, uh, and that skewed the public debate. You know, I, I not, there was the uh, uh, appearance of a consensus that I don't think actually existed, and a lot of that was accomplished through this sort of censorship. So while I support the right of anybody to say basically anything, with you know, some exceptions, maybe for threats of violence and, and that sort of thing, um, I think that the case shows sort of the philosophy underlying free speech in the First Amendment more specifically. But what it really does, and, and the complaint is absolutely stunning. Uh, it, re- it really is. It's 115 pages. And when I first printed it out and picked it up, I thought it would be yeah, another legal complaint. There's just a lot of boring, you know, cites to statutes and oh, uh, causes of actions. It's, <laughs> it is gripping when you read through and see all the comments made by uh, public officials in their official capacity threatening, conjoling, bullying social media companies to censor what they called disinformation. Uh, it, where, if somebody wants to look at the lawsuit, um, where can they find a copy of it? Well, it's on uh, it's on Pacer. I guess most people probably don't, don't know what Pacer okay, is. You, Pacer's you, a federal for those you, of us who. How do you Google it, or did Google censor yeah. this lawsuit? You, know, you can find it. You can find it on our website, and also the Missouri Attorney General has it too. So we have it on uh, our case page for State of Missouri versus Biden, and then they they also have it. So your website um, with the with the. That's uh, nclalegal.org. NCLA so, org. So the, the acronym makes me ask this question. Where's the ACLU? <laughs> well, that's a great question. <laughs> they haven't been around. Although I will say they tweeted favorably about the case. The Intercept covered it uh, a month or so. I, I like the Intercept. Yeah. Yeah. So, so have, have they weighed in? Have they offered legal assistance? Have they offered their, their considerable <laughs> weight of their credibility on free speech issues? They, they quote tweeted, which is about as much as we can expect from them at this point, I think. <laughs> they quote tweeted and said this looks like a, a violation of the First Amendment or something along those lines. Now, I, I appreciate the kind of long-term damage that this kind of censorship has caused in our society in general, from the macro to the micro. Dare I say this is micro, walking into federal court and having a federal judge um ask us all on the record to spell out our first names, middle initial, and last name, last name, indicate our vaccination status, yeah. and if he's satisfied, allow you to take off your mask or wear it and not allow unvaccinated people on the jury, which ended up um, eliminating jurors of color where the defendant was of color and so forth. Um, and it makes me riled up. But the people named in the lawsuit, can you tell me what happened to them, why they're suing? For example, Dr. Martin Kuldorf, uh, Dr. Bhattacharya, uh, Dr. Aaron Cariardi. What happened to them? Yeah, so their accounts were censored heavily, especially um, Kuldorf. But they also had, so they had like a, a roundtable discussion with Governor Ron DeSantis and Scott Atlas, who had uh, worked for Trump on his COVID advisory committee. Right. Um, and they had a discussion about masks and had indicated that they thought that the harms uh, to children of wearing masks all day outweighed the benefits. That video was taken down from YouTube. There were other posts. One of Kuldorf's was saying that masks 
provide vulnerable people with a false sense of security. So you shouldn't rely on them because they're not actually that effective. Um, so those, you know, those posts were taken down. There were there are emails between Anthony Fauci and uh, Francis Collins of the NIH talking about um, taking down the Great Barrington Declaration. So the Great Barrington Declaration was a document they wrote along with Sinatra Gupta, basically saying that the harms of lockdowns outweigh the benefits and they should be ended. Uh, and the, there should be focused protection for the vulnerable. So the Great Barrington De- Declaration was heavily censored on social media. And while we don't have hard proof right now that the government was behind that, there's substantial circumstantial evidence that I think warrants exploring this more. Well, uh, the lawsuit, you're taking depositions. And I want to ask about the Fauci deposition, which took place last Wednesday. Uh, but yeah. the lawsuit, if I understand federal civil procedure correctly, must have survived a motion to dismiss unless the defendants recognized that they would lose it and didn't even file one. Actually, this we're still in the preliminary injunction phase. <laughs> so this has been a highly unusual. The judge actually ordered a uh, discovery for the preliminary injunction, which rarely happens. So was Fauci deposed? Yeah. So we deposed him on Wednesday. And I, I want to be clear, I didn't personally depose him. The, the Solicitor General of Missouri is sort of the main, the lead guy running the case, he did the deposition, but uh, a bunch of us were in the room. Okay. Uh, I, I couldn't was, be in the room uh, <laughs> with Fauci and not <laughs> go after him verbally. So, uh, my question, what, if anything, did, what was the most shocking thing you learned uh, during his deposition? There was nothing that surprised me that much. It was very consistent with what I thought of him, which was he's not someone who, you know, uh, has self-doubt. <laughs> he's quite arrogant. He doesn't seem to care very much about human or civil rights. He talks a lot about, you know, how he had his day job was too busy running a $6 billion institute to have time for things like the Great Barrington Declaration and social media. Um, one thing that I don't think, I don't, to my knowledge, he's not said before was that his friend uh, or deputy, I think Clifford Lane went to China in early 2020 saw that they were successfully containing the virus and that uh, convinced Fauci that we needed to have social distancing measures. Now, he kept using the word social distancing measures. I think he was avoiding using the term lockdown because he knows it's not popular anymore, but he clearly meant lockdown. Um, Just so a friend going to China. What, China. what, yeah. what did the friend witness that, was, <laughs> that caused him to say it was successful? I think, that, I guess the friend witnessed them uh, ostensibly containing COVID, I, which is interesting because, you know, Xi is a dictator who doesn't really, we can't really rely on him to report things accurately. Uh, or we shouldn't, whether he's telling yeah. the truth or not, right? You might want to have yeah. a doubt about it. Well, now, and you know, now China's having protests all over, um, protesting Xi and lockdowns and stuff. So is, uh, after a new round of lockdowns three years later, which shows just how successful they were. <laughs> What's the what's the government, you know, what's Fauci's, what's uh, President Biden's, what's the administration's defense that we did so and we stand by it or we didn't actually enforce or uh, encourage social media to censor or not censor specific information? It's more or less that the companies were doing this on their own. They had COVID misinformation policies before any public threats were made um, that to the extent the government was working with social media companies, that that's sort of permissible under the First Amendment. You know, they were um, working together, which the e- so we got a lot of emails and discovery of uh, 15,000 pages. Um, and it's very clear. I mean, they were working together. Nobody can claim otherwise. Like, And it, it actually goes back quite far. The CDC began um, 
working with especially Facebook in, in like January of 2020 to censor people who said things that were not sort of government approved about COVID. And, you know, they have constant exchanges. They have meetings all the time. The CDC is asking for reports about trends and misinformation. They're they're giving um, the CDC is telling Facebook thing, you know, examples of post to censor even people on occasion. The, the specific people are more rare, uh, but it, it, it it's quite far reaching. And they talk about how the Census Bureau has been doing this even before COVID. And so they had an apparatus in place for uh, sort of this coordination between big tech and the government. See, that's why I never answered the door to the Census Bureau. But anyway, I, I, I knew it you from a long time ago. You should, by the way, watch the SNL episode about the Census Bureau with Christopher Walken. Um, let me ask you this. I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Um, worldwide pandemic, allegedly. So they said people were scared. We didn't have. Well, right. But I'm saying like to, to looking at the numbers, people that died from COVID no, with COVID, et cetera. I'm not going to go there. I kind of just did. But let, let's, in a light most favorable to the CDC, what is wrong with the CDC obtaining information as it's coming in, trying to prevent deaths, trying to prevent um, the risks to the most vulnerable? What's wrong with them working with big social media, big tech companies to spread the word that can ultimately save lives? What's wrong with that? So I'm not entirely sure, although I don't like it uh, personally, I'm not sure I would say that the two working together, if they both are doing so completely voluntarily, is a First Amendment violation. It's, it's when it comes to censoring. But, I don't, but also, it's important to remember that, it was, that all of this was done against the backdrop of threats, that if the companies don't comply, that they will be held accountable. And so I, I think anything that even appears voluntary can't really be uh, considered voluntary. You know, it's sort of like the mafia guy comes to your house and, you know, right. <laughs> one of those examples. Like, uh, when you have this power imbalance and you have the, the um, entity with the ability to really um, cause the other uh, party to suffer, that can't really be considered voluntary. And, and so, look, it, it, it certainly is not when you're threatening to essentially remove the one piece of legislation that allows them to stay in business and you refer to it, right. the number of times in your complaint where you quote government officials mentioning Section 230 is staggering. I, I'd like to do a word search on it. It was like dozens and dozens of instances where government officials mentioned 230 and the privilege and the gift, Pelosi called it, a, I think, a gift, uh, is yeah. is really staggering. That is a direct threat to yeah. do real harm to the social media companies. And the problem, as I see it, is who gets to decide what's misinformation? Who gets to decide right. this? And in this instance, it was a limited number of doctors and government officials. And I don't want to get into the debate if they're right or wrong about masks or vaccines or anything else. What troubles me as a civil libertarian and a free speech advocate for almost any, people can say almost anything is that the government got involved in this. It's really, really frightening to me because today it's COVID and medicine. Next week it'll be military policy. It'll be politics or something else. Well, it, I mean, and it already is. The lawsuit actually, uh, my plaintiffs are the COVID plaintiffs, but the lawsuit actually encompasses more than that. So it's, it's, there's election, uh, you know, issues in 2020 where people who question the uh, integrity of the election, which, you know, I'm not a, I don't think Trump won the election. I want to be clear, but that is a viewpoint, um, which people ought to be able to voice and other people ought to be able to uh, <laughs> dissent from that and explain why that might be wrong. But 
um, and then there are even abortion, climate change. Those are things that are starting to factor in. So, I mean, just what you have is one side, at, you know, doing and deciding who gets to be heard and who gets to be silent. And what's always interesting to me about these topics is, it, you know, I may be angry and say this is a problem with the left that needs to be remedied, but it often starts with the right and vice versa, right? So right. DHS, the Department of Homeland Security, uh, began addressing concerns about the Russian influence in the 2016 election. And I think it was the Trump administration that sort of authorized, um, you know, otherwise national security agencies to start looking at disinformation. Uh, um, Janine, unfortunately, that the music is the sign that we're going to have to take a break. And I know you have a fairly hard deadline yourself. Yeah. I appreciate you making yeah. some time to come on. Um, hopefully you'll, you'll, you'll grant us the pleasure of a few more minutes sometime in the future. And good luck. Good luck with this lawsuit. Safe travels. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Aida and I will be back after uh, a few local traffic, weather advertisements and whatnot to discuss this and other topics. See you after the break. Welcome back to Crime and Justice Radio. My name is Aida Lysenring. I'm here with Bruce Barquette. So, uh, I wish we had more time with Janine. Um, yeah. I really do. Let's, um, let's give out our phone number. We can have a little chat with some of our listeners. Number is 631-451-1039. It's 631-451-1039. What are your thoughts, listeners, about government censorship of disinformation is it a good thing in certain circumstances or is it always wrong yeah it it it, it is um you know my answer to that um it, it i i know i get a little excited from time to time about different issues uh this one really has gotten under my skin because i saw it happening a few years ago i talked about it then and you see it in black and white that they were actually doing the things that we fear the the one part of the lawsuit that i wanted to read is in 1783 george washington warned that if the freedom of speech may be taken away then dumb and silent we may be led like sheep to the slaughter and great opening line it, it, it's a great opening line. It's also, I'm going to start using it in all my motions, even though it's totally irrelevant. <laughs> it'll work. It'll work. So, uh, and look, we're, we're lucky we have a platform that we're largely allowed to do and say whatever it is that we want to do and say here. Um, and it's helpful. I don't want people to think that we are anti-vaccine, anti-mask, pro this, pro that. I, I don't want to get clouded with that because that's just today's topic for censorship to as janine mentioned it election integrity uh climate change and these are all left right issues and the left is pushing the censorship oh. stick around people on the left i have a lot of democrat we have a lot of democratic very liberal listeners well let me let me just say a couple things and i want to play devil's advocate but go ahead this isn't just a left thing. I, I want to note, because there was this pretty amazing article, Truth Cops, leaked documents outline Department of Homeland Security's plans to police disinformation. And this didn't start with Biden. It actually started in the Trump administration. I'm shocked. And it's the slippery slope when you create these little subdivisions of 
Homeland Security to deal with, first, election disinformation, second, this and that. And what happened was Trump administration uh, signed the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency Act, which was a new wing of Homeland Security devoted to protecting critical national infrastructure, which I think can mean anything, right? That's, that's the problem with loose definitions. And then in 2018, DHS Secretary Kirsten Nielsen created the Countering Foreign Influence Task Force to respond to election disinformation. Now, this is before Biden. Um, this is before Trump's disinformation about Right, right. And so all of these different divisions keep getting redefined, renamed, and it's a slippery slope. And next thing you know, we were supposed to be protecting citizens from potential foreign threats. And now we are um, playing mom and dad and telling our nation, our citizens, what they should listen to and what they shouldn't listen to. But let me play devil's advocate. If you could prove that there was a conspiracy out there to spread disinformation that was dangerous to people's health, and against the public good, would you be for or against its censorship? Well, uh, that's an easy question. Of course you're against the censorship. I mean, you say a conspiracy, you mean people get together and lie? Okay, that's part of free speech. The Supreme Court has addressed this head on and said it's not just truthful information that gets protected. People have a right to lie people have a right to say you know black is white and white is black if if they want to but what if you the lie censor it harms lives and what if the lie is calculated and it's a concerted effort a conspiracy like the, among individuals like the chinese are going to lie to us about the efficacy of masks and thus many americans will die because they don't wear the mask and that's a deliberate attempt by the chinese to or by American citizens to kill off, you know, so many Americans, it becomes the speech actually becomes a weapon of some sort. I, I get it. I, look, the, a classic example for law students and for everybody else is you can't yell fire in a crowded theater because uh, it would end up leading to individuals being injured. And that's not protected free speech. That's not protected free speech. But why not? Because it is. They view it as action. So you're not also not allowed to say, let's go kill somebody, for example. Right, but yelling fire is When there's not a fire. Action. It's like yelling uh, masks don't work. Say they do. Um, people listen to masks don't work. They take them off and they die. Well, that that is... The Supreme Court is actually the fire in the crowded theater speech is actually part of Supreme Court um, precedent and it explicitly talks about speech that is going to directly lead to individuals harm um death injury and so right, forth like in that circumstance people aren't going to pull out their their resources and, and study Google. whether or not there's, there's a fire they're going to hear fire and run ex and it's going to cause exactly so the the free speech about masks or about climate change or about uh, election integrity biden's um son's laptop Trump saying that the election was stolen from him, whatever it is, people can go out and you can say the opposite and individuals can read about it and think about it and, quote, do their own research, end quote, and make their own decision. And that's been the cornerstone of our 
society and our government for 200 plus years, and it's allowed us to live free. Uh, Once you take that away, and it's not just taken away by a private individual, it's taken away by the government, then the government decides. And look, Lee Zeldin almost got elected governor of New York, came closer than most people thought he would. Um, If he had gotten elected, he had promised to declare a state of emergency and suspend, essentially, the criminal procedure law in New York, suspend the discovery reform, suspend bail reform, and issue a edict that those would no longer apply because it's quote-unquote an emergency and i warned my friends on the left when they were all happy about cuomo and Hochul imposing all kinds of restrictions on our conduct on our, on our movement on what we could do and what we couldn't do during covid this guy's going to use the same you, avenue to you're not going to like elected this. da's and right you're not going to like this laws. when somebody in the right gets this same power and uses it in a way that you're not going to you're not going to find so uh, pleasing and i would say the same thing about free speech you don't like uh, disinformation as you call it about covid you think the vaccines are important that masks work that lockdowns were a good idea whatever you think and you're perfectly happy with social media companies uh, censoring that and perfectly happy with the government forcing or compelling or bullying social media companies into doing that, that's all fine and good. Trump's going to win in 2024, and he's going to come in, and he's going to use those same what? tools. What? what? I'm just saying. <laughs> he, and he's going to use those same tools in a way that you're not going to like so much. And, and we have to back off. The, the Part of living in a free society and part of – um, government behaving is recognizing that you're only in power for a short amount of time and you have to act responsibly. If you don't, when the other side gets in power, right. they're going to they're gonna up the ante somewhat. And we saw this, I think, with the impeachment of Trump. Got impe- How many impeachments in the last 250 years? There were two. There. Two. Yeah. Right? Um, two. A- and now we have um, the um, four because two for one president, one four-year term, what do you think the Republican Congress is going to do? What do you think is going to happen there? They're going to go to the other extreme, and they're going to keep upping the ante back and forth, back and forth, because they can. Exercising power responsibly and limiting what you do is how our government ultimately works. And part of that is respecting the process. So for people on the left, you respect the Supreme Court and respect their decisions. You don't enact gun laws that specifically violate the decision that just was issued by the Supreme Court that you don't like. And for people on the right, you accept the results of the election, even though you lost. Bruce Barquette, when are you running for Congress? I'm not running for <laughs> <laughs> you know, You know me. I, I couldn't get elected dog catcher. Listen, I have a solution for this disinformation. It's called, you know, much like MTV Unplugged, USA Unplugged. There should be a national holiday where people stop with... Uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, online, internet. No, but let me tell you something. I have significantly reduced um, my hours. Uh, In some days, I don't look at it at all of Twitter. And I used to do it because I thought it was a great source of getting information that would be useful for the job, right? So everyone does it for their industry. They want to Uh, keep their name in the business. It's good for getting clients. It's good for keeping up on information. But what I've learned is that you can go to actual um, 
sites that you know, that you trust, that you like, and do your own research. And the truth isn't so much in differing opinions, sometimes it's somewhere in between, but in actually experiencing life, having communications with other individuals, sharing different perspectives. And I promise you, if one does that, they become less crazy. Because what we have now in our nation is a huge problem with crazy. And if you don't believe me, and I'm not saying that social media alone is responsible for the uptick in the prison population, um, you should look at the numbers. Um, tempted to change topics here and no, go, go ahead. talk go, about... Go back into t- traditional crime and justice issues. Well, right, and I, and I think that you know some of this world craziness has something to do with it, but we've been talking about Rikers for... A very long time. It's a recurring theme. There's been 18 deaths this year alone, right? Was it 18? Um, 18 so far. Yeah, it's a shocking number. But apparently Rikers isn't alone. Um, And the conditions in all these pretrial detention facilities, so the person hasn't been convicted, the person hasn't been proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. They're just alleged to have committed some crime and they're incarcerated awaiting their trial are deplorable. In L.A. County Jail, they're chaining mentally ill inmates to chairs for days. Um, There's lawsuits coming out of West Virginia uh, for inmates finding urine and semen in the food. Uh, In Missouri, St. Louis, there's multiple uprisings by inmates because they're overcrowded. Tennessee, Washington, Georgia, surging deaths just like Rikers. Um, and in this article, I think it was in the Marshall Project that I read, and they interviewed dozens of experts, guards, inmates, um, and people that specialized in this industry. They say the, the biggest problem is overcrowding and understaffing. And I add to that the kind of rotting aged infrastructure of all these facilities. Um, but during the pandemic, the prison population went down approximately 25% because people were staying at home, there was less arrest, um, and so forth. But then in 2021, 2022, it rose significantly, and it's out of control. Um, We have a huge problem. And I'm just wondering, why? Why the US? Right? Why isn't this happening in Spain, in Norway, in Mexico? Um, why are we above China in incarceration? Do we have inherently worse people? Uh, are more people committing crimes? We know that can't be true, right? That we're not more prone to criminal conduct? I do think that we have a tendency of driving people more crazy than in other nations. And there's so many different contributing factors to that. Among them, I would say we are a nation of pharmaceutical prowess. We recommend uh, happy pills, anxiety pills, sleeping pills to everyone and their mother, as opposed to dealing with the problem that you face, right? Human beings are going to experience depression. That's normal. You know, if you think of emotions as something that God gave you, depression, and I'm not talking about chronic depression, that actually has to be looked at and maybe medicated, but just simple depression is sometimes your body telling you what you're doing isn't working and you have to change a few things to make your life happier. But instead, we sedate everybody. Between that and the isolation and addiction that people have to internet and social media, 
And then our divisive politics pack on that a complete lockdown where people lost their jobs, aren't able to put food on the table, are at risk or did become homeless. Um, and you get a combination of a lot of angry, volatile energy that is, quite frankly, justified. So I would argue that we have kind of a very unique problem in America that isn't as common in other nations. And I'll tell you this, Meghan Markle, Harry, when they had an interview with Oprah Winfrey, where they were going to reveal, it was their tell-all about the monarchy and uh you know, give give a bunch of good, salacious gossip to the world. A lot of people in the UK watched the American interview in real time. Normally, you'd go back, you'd watch clips of it, or you'd, you know, get a tape version of it. But when they watched it in real time, what was the most shocking thing wasn't allegations of racism. To the viewers, it was how many pharmaceutical commercials we had in America. It's just accepted as the norm, you know? <laughs> Open up your medicine cabinets. There's literally studies that fish have changed sexes due to all the hormones that were flushing down the water. So I know I now sound crazy yes. and worthy no, of incarceration, but I think that there's just so many dynamics that are so, contributing so to our kind of national wait madness. A wait a second. We started off with free speech <laughs> and talked a little bit about the censorship of... Um, you know, on these various issues, touched upon the censorship concerning vaccines. Then we supposedly changed topics and went to uh, criminal justice and the incarceration incarceration rates and the deplorable conditions of the jails. And you've managed to bring it right back down to pharmaceuticals. Of course, and drugs of course. And, so forth. and not for nothing, not everyone has access to good health care. Um, and that also is just compounded stress on breadwinners, you know, mothers, the household, children. I, I, I wish, I, I mean, people say I have an opinion. People know me say I have an opinion about just about everything. I don't have an opinion here. I don't know why it is that we have such high crime rates and such high incarceration rates. I, I, I'm look into what I'm saying because if you're if you're <laughs> if you're poor, you're angry. If you're fault? jobless, you're angry. If you are, I think about all the clients. Porn. But hold on a second. Think about all the clients that we've had um, that we actually were able to get a not guilty by reason of insanity or got close. And in some cases, the prosecution conceded that when we looked at their history, they were medicated with cocktails after cocktails of experimental that, drugs that, from a very young age. But they were crazy age. first. Forgive, forgive me for using that word, but they had I don't know. mental illness they, they first. They had some behavioral issues at school. They, they, I, had, I, they had problems I, I, first, and, and how you treat somebody with psychiatric or mental illness with narcotics I, is a very imprecise science, is my my guess. But we have veered wildly off of where we normally are. Want to talk a little Adult Sexual Survivor Act instead? <laughs> like, uh, sure. Or sure. continue to invite callers uh, well, if they have an opinion of this and my wild theories. 631-451-1039. Yeah. 631-451-1039. It is um, the adult, say that again, because I know what it is, but I can't remember. The adult... Survivor, what is it? It's called the Adult Survivors Act. So what it means is that if you were sexually abused, uh, there is a one-year window starting November 
23rd, I believe, and it'll continue until November 22nd of next year, where without regard to when this event supposedly happened, it could have happened 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 50 years ago, you can bring a, a civil action against uh, the alleged abuser or the alleged offender, completely wiping out the statute of limitations for adults. They've done this for individuals yeah, so who, were, who were abused Cu- as Cuomo, children. Yeah, Cuomo did this Child Survivors Act, which kind of makes sense. It, they opened up the statute of limitations that if you were sexually abused as a child, um, it made sense for them to open that window up for one year to sue because many of these kids cannot be expected to promptly report um, an instance of sexual abuse. I don't see the same need for adults, um, but at the same time, I, I, I'm i not opposed to it. And frankly, I, I am to circle back to Trump for a moment, um, who may have started this government interference and disinformation campaign, um, though I, I submit it goes back to the Patriot Act. Um, E. Jean, who is a columnist at Elle magazine where I once worked, um, alleges she was raped by Trump in the 1990s. And because of this Adult Survivors Act, she's now actually able to sue Trump. And she has filed a lawsuit in New York. Um, otherwise, she would not have that remedy. Yeah, no, and I'm against it. We have a statute of limitations for a reason. It's that you can't defend or prove what took place decades ago, and there's some obligation on individuals who have suffered some harm to bring that to a court in a timely manner, not only so that the individual who's being accused can defend themselves, but so the individual who's bringing the lawsuit has the wherewithal to actually prove the allegations they've made. When you wipe that out, you're left with just a bald allegation and a bald allegation of sex abuse uh, that can't be rebutted even, is, is and, and, deadly. Right. And even if you're acquitted, it's the one kind of crime that you kind of never, never get get past. You, right. Your you, reputation is wrecked. Forever. So it, it is... Um, we really turned the tables on that conversation, huh? We, we did. We did. Um, we'll be back next week. At least you will be. I may be someplace else. Maybe on trial. But I'll be uh, here in spirit or via phone. Uh, we'll see you next week on Crime and Justice Radio. Check us out on our social media platforms, Crime Justice FM on Twitter and Crime and Justice Radio on Instagram. We'll see you later. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station, JVC Broadcasting Management, or its sponsors.